0: Although I am a member of the Church of Satan, I do not speak for the Church of Satan. up everyone? Welcome back to The Demented One. I'm your host as always, Blake. And tonight I have a little special show for you. Um, it's a little bit different. It's not an interview. It is a um, discussion I had with J.D. Sword from the podcast The Devil in the Details. He is a friend of the show. He's been on before. And I wanted him to have, come on and help me have a discussion and We talk about, basically, can you separate the art from the artist? Um, And I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode. We dive into the whole Marilyn Manson case and what's been going on and all the allegations. And really, we discuss the title, you know, separating the art from the artist. Can you do that? Or is it can some people do it? Can some people not do it? So, I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. Um, But before we get into that, if you have not already, go ahead and subscribe to The Demented One on YouTube. Also, if you have not followed us on Facebook, make sure you do at The Demented One. And... You can follow us on all the major platforms of your favorite podcast. So, we're everywhere. So, make sure you're following us somewhere. And if you do subscribe to the YouTube channel, make sure you hit the uh, little bell so you can get notified every time a new episode is released. So, other than that, guys, I'm going to go ahead and get out of the way because this show um, was a little bit longer than most of the other episodes I do. I usually try to keep them between. 25 30 35 minutes long i think this one went 45 to 55 minutes long so it's a little bit longer but we dive in and and get kind of deep into the discussion um and we also talk about satanism and um is marilyn manson the satanist all that kind of stuff that you hear all the time so we dive into it and um i hope you guys really enjoy it so without further ado um Here is the show separating the art from the artist. Enjoy. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am your host, Blake, and welcome to The Demented One. JD, what's up, man? Hey, how's it going? Thank you very much for for having me. Definitely, man. Um... When I heard your, I think it was your last uh, podcast, your episode, when you were dealing with the uh, repressed memories and stuff about Manson and all that, mm-hmm. um, that's what made me think about doing this show and had to have you on so we can discuss this topic, man. So thank you for taking the time out and coming on.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: So how you been, man? Anything new?
1: Um, well, uh, since I made that episode, I think I started a new job so that's keeping me busy um so that's part of the reason why there hasn't been another podcast episode since then Mm -hmm. uh trying to keep up with putting out articles for uh skeptical inquirer i usually try to do one a month um i kind of tend to prioritize those because i i do get paid for them (laughs) whereas the (laughs) podcast episodes you know that's totally out of out of my own pocket um i i do have a uh kind of secret project that i have been working on for the past five six months maybe um that i'll i'll be working with um magister kevin slaughter on but i can't say too much about what it is because I'm not entirely sure what kind of final form it will take. But Ah. when it does come out, I think it's going to be pretty important to the Church of Satan and kind of preserving the history of the organization.
0: Right. Very cool, man. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to that, man. You said uh, Magister Kevin Slaughter is helping Mm -hmm. you? Yep. You you and him? Cool. Definitely. Yeah, you'll have to let us know once it's released and everything, so looking forward to that. So J.D., let's talk about Marilyn Manson. Um, now, I know a lot of people that may that might not know really anything about Satanism or anything. Um, when you ask them, you know, what do you think of when you hear the word Satanist or something? Mm-hmm. Most of the time they're going to say, you know, devil worship or sacrifice or Marilyn Manson mm-hmm. um, a lot of times. But um. Before we get into everything that's been going on with, you know, the Rachel Wood accusations and all that, when was the first time you ever heard, you know, who Manson was or the first time you ever heard his music?
1: So as far as I could recall, I think the first mention I ever had of him as a a person, a musician was in the book. She Said Yes. Um, which oh. was written by one of the mothers of um, the Columbine victim. One of the Columbine victims, and I can't, I can't remember um, the girl's name. But the whole premise of the book was allegedly before she was killed. One of the shooters asked her, "Do you believe in God?" And she said yes. And that was the, you know. I don't want to say the reason for her being killed because you know it's probably likely she wasn't going to make it out anyway but right um and and since then the story has been disputed people that were in the I think it was the library people that were there with her claim you know she never said that 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 incident never happened oh wow so uh, I you know the book definitely in retrospect comes across as very disgustingly uh kind of capitalizing on her daughter's death um in a you know in a martyrdom kind of way that that i find particularly distasteful Mm -hmm. but the the narrative of the book really tries to play out her um kind of uh being born again talking about how she was a troubled teen who kind of Dabbled in drugs, ran around with kind of a rough crowd and got into uh, listening to uh, bands like Marilyn Manson and kind of dabbling in like, you know, high school kind of devil worship. And it, you know, would kind of talk about the the lyrics to some of his his music. And, you know, that was kind of the first real modern music that I was really exposed to. Because I don't, I don't know if they were playing his stuff on like MTV, but the only kind of bands that I had seen on there were like Corn, Limbiscuit, you know, which are were kind of cool in their own way. But like Marilyn Manson is just completely different from that.
0: Right.
1: Um, So then, as I got a little bit older, and and I think it mentioned in that book too that he was a member of the church of satan so that was kind of my introduction to both the idea that you know there's a music artist out there that's kind of more even more extreme than like ozzy osbourne and iggy pop and there's this organization called the church of satan uh so i didn't get to actually like listening to his music until i so that was probably when i was in like middle school I didn't actually get around to listening to his music until I was in high school because my stepsister at the time had Antichrist Superstar and I think a burned copy of Hollywood. So those were the first yes. two albums that I listened to and, mm-hmm. you know, was just completely blown away by because they're just, you know, up until then, the, the kind of hardest music that that uh, I would listen to was like, you know, Limp Bizkit, um, Korn, uh, Kid Rock. I, w- I, w- I was big into Kid Rock at the time, um, but my parents actually made me... Uh, when they found out that uh, it was not like the censored Walmart version, they made me get rid of the CD. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so from there, it was trying to... You know, I I bought all of his albums, just basically tried to, you know, expose myself and learn as much about him insofar as his music, his autobiography, books that were written about him. So, you know, as as, as somebody diagnosed ADD, he became kind of a lifelong hyperfixation Mm -hmm. in that I, you know... I would just basically try to learn everything that I could about him and his band and his work. Right. And that actually led me to um, a website that I had uh, chatted you an article for or linked you to a webpage page of. Um, it was a website called The Denact Cabaret that was run mm-hmm. by um, an artist named Nick Kushner. Um, unfortunately, he uh, passed away a few years ago. Um, but he basically spent you know his his kind of life's work was discussing and kind of pointing out the occult influences of Manson in terms of the music the lyrics the kind of imagery and the artwork and you know that site was was huge I spent a lot of time on that site um just poring over everything and just learning as much as I could um it's 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 still maintained in his absence, but um, it's quite a shame that, that he since passed away.
0: Right. Yeah, I'm, I've am i had kind of the same a little bit experience like you. Um, I think the first time, well, I know the first time was I was in middle school, I think sixth or seventh grade. And I was waiting on the school bus one morning. And um, I was sitting in the house and wait because I could see the bus coming up the road. And then I would run up to the end of the driveway and catch the bus. Well, I had, uh, I think it was VH1 playing on TV. Now, for a lot of the young generation, back then, MTV and VH1 used to play music videos, believe it or not. (laughs) (laughs) And um, they had a thing called pop-up video on VH1. Yes. And basically what it was is they would play a video and little things during the video would pop up, like little... You know, things about the video or the director or anything. Anyway, I was standing there waiting on the bus and the song came on and I was like, Who in the hell is this? And I went over there to watch it and it was Marilyn Manson, the song Man That You Fear, which is still today one of my favorite songs by him. And after that, man, I went to school that day and I was asking all my friends, Hey, have you heard about this? Marilyn Manson, of course, he was like, Yeah, where have you been? And they were telling me about you know, Portrait of American Family Smells Like Children albums and all that So after that, man, I just dug in And and anything I could get a hold of Magazines um, I think the first album I ever bought Was Antichrist Superstar And I remember listening to that CD Gosh For every day for a couple of weeks From mm-hmm. the first song all the way to the end and um i now, was just when
1: you say the end do you mean like track 17 or did no all the way go, to 99
0: okay <laughs> the yep hidden track. yep yep it was the hidden track man and um i was just hooked and anything i could find i mean my whole wall i was just i guess you could say i was obsessed man yeah of knowing about him learning about him and then when he came up with his book long car road out of hell um, I think that is really the first time I ever heard anything about Anton LaVey. Was when he mentioned about mm-hmm. visiting the Black House and things. Yeah. And at that time, still I was young, so I didn't really think anything of it. I just read it, Oh, that's pretty cool, and didn't think of it, you know, again for a while. But that's basically the first time I, you know, heard him, and I was hooked ever since. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: it's it. It's funny how popular his music was as like as far as like soundtracks go because there were you know there was a good many movies that had like his version of sweet dreams in um mm-hmm. uh like the remake of uh House on Haunted Hill um I'm sure there's there's other I
0: mean, we spawn uh, where he did a long Card Road out of hell yes movie, yeah yeah um yeah long it's it's highway it's, actually too I don't know if you've ever seen that movie lost highway
1: i haven't yeah. i that that was that the one that him and um twiggy were both in yeah
0: like yep. they did song apple of so- sodom or something yes. i think it was I, yeah i love that song yeah, it's very cool. um, yeah i
1: it, it's it's it, it's funny to think about how like hugely popular he was and i feel like the only kind of analogy that i can think of in, and this isn't new, so I'm I'm kind of dating myself uh, by acknowledging it anyway. Is um, Lady Gaga like mm-hmm. there for a couple years? Uh, he you know he was really on top. You know uh, they had an episode of him on um, Celebrity Deathmatch, which was a, a big <laughs> show on MTV back then. Yep. I forget who he I forget who he fought. Do you remember? I think it was the
0: Backstreet Boys or Instinct <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> One. Yeah, <laughs> one of the this, yeah this, one this, of those two. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um And they did uh, the song Astonishing Panorama of the End Times for that episode. That's another one of my favorites.
0: Right. And then, of course, I think it was two years in a row, row he was on the MTV Music Awards, the first one. Mm-hmm. He did Beautiful People, and then the second year he did The Dope Show. Yeah. Um, I remember the uh, first one when he was with The Beautiful People. And he came out the way he did. I just, I was young and I was like, that is fucking awesome. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's, yeah, that's
0: pure rock and roll. Definitely, you know. yeah. Yep. So, J.D., of course, when people think of Marilyn Manson a lot of times, or I don't want to say everybody, but some, they think of him that he is a Satanist. So what do you, can you talk about that a little bit? Like, is Manson a Satanist or... Do you think he was just, you know, he had he admired Anton LaVey and his writings or what? What's your thoughts? Um, I mean he's
1: always been candid about drawing inspiration from and admiring LaVey's work. And I, I think he definitely could at least at the time articulate it well. Um you know so much so that anton Levay saw in him somebody worthy to kind of take on the priesthood right but you know i i, I definitely one hundred percent he's he's not a satanist he's never i identified as a satanist um you know he's expressed i wouldn't even say that he's an atheist um In that he has consistently kind of expressed that, you know, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual kind of uh, sentimentality where you're kind of flippant about putting a definition on God or kind of saying, no, I don't believe in God, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, which, uh, I, I you know, that's to me it's kind of a pet peeve because it's like either either god is you know a being with kind of a personality that interacts in the world or you know maybe it's the deist version where he doesn't do anything Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know or it's not god you know you can't you can't say something like nature is god or the force is god because to me it's like well that's that's not god that's something else and that's you know that's fine if you want to kind of hold that up but right. you know let's kind of be clear about what we're saying um but yeah I, I think he's uh i don't know if i would so much say that he's like a christian um i i don't know if he necessarily believes in god as like a physical kind of being mm-hmm. but um I, I yeah i definitely don't think that he's uh, he's a satanist And he's never really done. He's never done anything, um, as far as being affiliated with the Church of Satan.
0: Right. Yeah, and he even talked about it in his book. You know, when Anton Lavey gave him the uh, honorary membership um, and everything. But he's even said in interviews I've heard. You know that he takes some from the Satanic Bible. He takes Mm -hmm. some things from the Holy Bible. Mm-hmm. Um Dr. Seuss, all that, and he draws from all yeah. of that he says. So yeah, I'm I'm with you. I don't I don't really think I don't see Manson as a Satanist at all. I think um, if anything,
1: he's probably closer to I don't know if you'd call I don't know if they're called Thelemites. Like I think he's more inspired by Aleister Crowley, at least in terms of what he references, yeah. um, than Anton LaVey. I think in the early um the kind of early years when it was still uh, Spooky Kids and Antichrist Superstar, there was a lot more overt um, Church of Satan kind of references. Uh, And, of course, references to, like, the Freemasons and Aleister Crowley have always been there. But uh, over the years, especially with, like, albums like Holywood, and, you know, a few things here and there after that, there's still a lot more uh, references to Crowley and... Lima than there are LeVay and
0: Satanism. yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think the I want to say the most probably close to Satanism with his albums, I think would be portrait of American Family. If you listen mm-hmm. to that album, you can hear a lot of um, things like, you know, from the Satanic Bible and mm-hmm. philosophy there. I think that was probably the closest, in my opinion. You know, yeah, it's all the albums. And, you know, that's
1: that's a funny album because it was never one of my favorites. So, but, <laughs> but it's one of those, like, if you don't listen to it for a very long time, like, you know, like I haven't. Um, mm-hmm. And there's kind of another reason for that we can touch on later. Um, <laughs> going back and listening to it, it it's. It's kind of surpri- like it's kind of surprising. Like I feel like the older I get when I revisit things like music, I have a different appreciation for it. And it has such a very distinct sound and it's I can't put my finger on it, but it has a very 90s sound. Oh yeah, definitely. You know. Yeah. Um and I you know, definitely thematically I think it's a lot more overtly dealing with kind of the hypocrisy of kind of Christian talk show 80s, 90s mm-hmm. culture, which at yeah. the time, of course, uh, specifically had a lot of focus on the Church of Satan and Satanism um, and you know, would-be Satanists kind of coming out of the satanic panic of the 80s and the early 90s. Right.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I think my only pet peeve with the whole Manson thing is that... A lot of people, like we talked about at the beginning, associate Satanism with Manson mm-hmm. when it has nothing to do with it at all. <laughs> right. You know, the whole philosophy and religion has nothing to do with it. Um,
1: and I think there's a lot of, you know, things about or choices or behaviors that he is engaged in that, you know, are anathema to the philosophy. Right. Uh, you know, I, I, I guess it could be argued to what extent he indul you know indulges in narcotics, yeah. or is uh, a drug addict? But you know, Anton Lavey at least himself was personally very against drugs. Right. Um, you know, Satanism in general, I think, frowns on becoming kind of, in, you know, becoming addicted or enslaved to any kind of uh, mind-altering substance, you know. There's the idea of, uh, you know, indulgence, not compulsion.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: you know, it's one of those... There's a very fine line between kind of having that... Living that hedonistic rock-and-roll kind of lifestyle and then being self-destructive about it. Um, You know, and... It's not to say that... Anybody can't kind of have these kind of accusations brought against them. But I think definitely when you live a certain kind of lifestyle. You, you know, you got to be mm-hmm. really, really careful because mm-hmm. it, it, it it, at the very least, it may it probably makes people a lot more prone to believe the accusations against you. You know, if you don't kind of readily look like the person that, well, he would never do that or, you know, <laughs> Like, I'm sure that there's not a there's nobody who is a who is uh, not a fan of Manson that would look at him and be like, I just don't see that.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. Well, speaking of the allegations um, with Manson and Evan Rachel Wood. Um, She came, you know, out with domestic violence, rape, all kind of things, she mm-hmm. said. Um, now, it's really become, and this came down to, he said, she said thing. Mm-hmm. Um, And I don't think we'll ever know the truth, to be honest. <clears throat> um, but what's your take on all of that, man?
1: When, so, when it first came out, you know, I have to be honest, I very much believed it mm-hmm. um, because, you know, I had known that they had had a difficult relationship and there were a lot of little things that he had said throughout the years that had, you know, really kind of made me uncomfortable. Right. Uh, you know, looking back at his uh, ghost-written autobiography, You know, there's a lot of troubling stories in there about his treatment of his mom, um, his treatment of, uh, you know, girlfriends at the time, or people that he was just kind of romantically interested in, you know, kind of stalking them, leaving uh, threatening voicemails, you know, threatening anonymous voicemails. Yeah. you know, lyrically, there's a lot of references to kind of rape and sexual assault in his songs, which, you know, I, I'm I'm sure people, you know, fans would would brush that off as, you know, well, it's up for artistic interpretation and you just don't understand. Mm-hmm. But when when his when the song running when the video for the song Running to the Edge of the World came out for his uh, 2010 album High End of Low. That one was really, really uncomfortable to me, and I—I I think it's Esme Bianco who's in the video.
0: I believe so. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the 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 Game of Thrones um, actress who I guess he dated for some time, um, and then you know became one of these accusers. Um, you know he in, brought her in to star in the video, and in the video she's kind of supposed to be, I guess, a stand-in for Evan Rachel Wood as a blonde and you know it it depicts him um seemingly in you know beating her up um you know that that was a big a big deal for me when it came out and i remember there was a lot of discourse in the uh the group chat for the website the not cabaret at the time people either Kind of expressing being uncomfortable with it versus people kind of rushing to his defense and saying, you know, well, this is all just a work of art. You know, it's it's uh, a way of kind of expressing these emotions without actually you know doing it. And, um, you know, so when these accusations came out. I wasn't surprised, um, mm-hmm. but I was really, uh, really disappointed, you know, because he was he was one of those people that had had such a big impact on on my life and my interests uh and you know to seemingly have those kind of uncomfortable moments really kind of proven right so to speak (laughs) um you know it, it was it was hard and at the time i had made you know i i decided i was like i can't i can't listen to this music anymore because so much of it you know these kind of problematic things are are kind of littered through it so much so you know i had had these albums for well over a decade you know i really started to become a a big fan of his in the early 2000s when um golden age of grotesque came out so i had had these albums for you know well over a decade and uh you know i i i threw them away now, I will admit since then, I have kind of found my way back to um, listening to his music, uh, uh, you know, a lot more just because it's such, you know, it's such good music. Now, there's there's some songs that, I you know, I, I won't listen to. I won't skip over. Um, but, you know, as far as right now and when I put out that article, um, you know, I I'm. I think I'm kind of with with you in that I, I don't know if he's guilty or innocent. And that really frustrates me personally because I do not like ambiguity. Mm-hmm. I want answers to be a definite yes or no. And it really frustrates me that, like you said, we're probably never going to know the truth because it's basically just a he should – he said, she said kind of kind of a deal.
0: Right.
1: Um that being said, as time has went on, um, I have kind of changed my mind about some things, which is where this article uh came from, because you know, while I definitely well while I'm not going to you know I, I don't want to uh people to think that I'm defending Marilyn Manson. Or I'm trying to say Evan Rachel Wood and his accusers are are lying and they're making it up and they're just you know trying to get money you know I I, I don't know but there are um, details and there are certain things about the story that I think we can definitively say uh, no about mm-hmm. and we should definitely kind of you know it, it raises some red flags. Mm.
0: Yeah, I agree. And and honestly, man, I'm I'm surprised that none of this, you know, has came out a lot sooner than it did, you know, just being who he is. I'm surprised no one else has, you know, came forth or tried to say anything way before, you know, Rachel Wood. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, that's but, you know, and they were in a relationship, on again, off again for quite some time. You know, right. they originally met in 2006. Um, started dating sometime uh, after his divorce.
0: Um, they she was up. 18, right? And he was 36. At
1: the she top? was eight. Yeah, she was 18. He was like 36, 37. Which, you know, per- personally to me, that's that's already kind of like red flag territory because I just. <laughs> you know, despite what anybody says, I just can't imagine having anything really in common with an 18 year old, like even right. in terms of interests, you know, like having a like for the same kind of movies and music and things like that. I feel like even the way that you relate to things like that change as you get older, you know, you have, uh, maybe a deeper or a more nuanced kind of impre- uh, appreciation of it. Right. But, uh, But yeah, you know, so there's a huge age gap. They are together for like two years, break up in like 2008, um, break up again in like 2009. And then at some point in time between 2009, 2010, uh, he proposed to her. uh, She, you know, rejected him. They broke up again for like the third time, third and final time. Um And all, you know, all through that time, she, you know, gave a lot of a lot of interviews and had nothing but glowing, you know, nothing but glowing things to say about the relationship, talked about how it was, you know, her finding herself kind of um, ha- being in a relationship with somebody where she had the freedom to kind of explore who she is and things like that. And even after the relationship was over for quite some time, you know, she would talk about it uh, and, you know, not in a negative light.
0: Right. Well, I guess I was going to touch on, you know, um, the repressed memories and all of that, but I'm going to let people go and listen to the episode that you did on your podcast for that. Okay. Um, I mean, I can,
1: if you want, I can, you know, kind of give you the spark notes.
0: Quick yeah, if you, if him. you won't, um, well, for the audience, can you explain what the repressed memories are? Okay. So repression
1: was an idea that really originated with Freud in, um, 1896 He was presenting a lecture to the um, Society for Psychiatry in Vienna, and at the time, his idea was patients were coming to him exhibiting symptoms of what at the time was called hysteria, which, you know, basically could be anything if you were a woman in Victorian England, you know, Victorian times, and you were kind of acting out. You know you were called hysteric and you'd be locked up in a mental asylum um kind of like how you know if you were a woman and you uh you know you couldn't get wet enough or you didn't want to get fucked by your husband you were declared frigid and put in a mental asylum it's kind of a catch-all term so his idea was these patients were coming to him and they were uh, showing these hysteric symptoms because of some kind of sexual trauma that had happened in their life that they had either repressed the memory of it because of a failure to encode the memory because at the time their mind was in a dissociative state so you know they were kind of uh, disconnected from reality so their their brain couldn't properly encode the memory or the memory was expelled from their conscious awareness because the event and the kind of shame associated with it didn't match their self-image so going and there's kind of a popular idea that when freud (laughs) presented his ideas they were so scandalous that he basically had to retract his theory uh, or he was going to get blackballed by the psychiatric community. And there's no evidence of that. Uh, That's pretty much a story that was kind of cooked up by, um, you know, Freudians to make Freud look cool. Uh, You know, he himself gave varying... So he did eventually kind of abandon that... um, seduction theory as he called it um and he gave varying reasons over the years for why but i think the most uh the one that kind of has the most support behind it and the most evidence supporting it is that he basically uh was you know more interested in his theory of dreams and his idea of the oedipus complex the Electra complex So, you know, he kind of transitioned from this idea that women – people were actually being um, traumatized and sexually abused uh, to they basically had these kind of – this inner fantasy life that he was more interested in exploring.
0: Right.
1: Um, So, you know, repression then kind of went underground, and, you know, nobody really paid much attention to it outside of – Kind of psychoanalytic circles up until around like the 1980s when uh psychiatrists really started paying you know kind of paying more attention to um incest uh, abuse survivors so in you know in the 70s and the 80s um social mores kind of changed that it became kind of less taboo to talk about incest and domestic abuse in the home so you had these incest survivors who you know were in therapy and psycho, you know the psychi- uh, psychiatrists were noticing that they were very kind of reluctant to talk about what had happened and rather than deciding that they didn't want to talk about it because it was you know painful they decided that their inability to talk about it meant that they couldn't remember it so the idea became that they had somehow repressed the memory from their conscious mind so you see an introduction of techniques to kind of bring those memories to the surface so to speak with like hypnotic therapy where you regress the patient back to uh, an earlier age or the age when the trauma allegedly happened you have uh different kind of ways to get the, the patient to kind of re-experience the trauma in a way um, the idea that like your muscles can hold a memory of trauma so if you can just get the body to kind of express that physical sensation it'll somehow unlock the memory and that became a key feature of the satanic panic with the publication of Michelle Remembers in 19, 1980 or 1981 uh, yeah. I don't remember what the exact date was but you know that entire story was based around the idea that this woman had been uh abused by a satanic cult as a child and now as an adult was going into therapy and these memories were kind of being drudged up from the unconscious so that you know the the popularity of that book and the many other kind of uh cases that came out After it, there was really kind of a wildfire of people going into uh, psychiatry offices with, you know, varying problems, insomnia, depression, anxiety, you name it. And they would basically come out of therapy months or years later, and now they had these memories of being uh, abused by Satanists or, you know, being uh, molested or raped by their family members. And in some cases, uh, you know, they would, you know, of course, confront their family or even in some cases take them to court and, you know, people would go to jail. So in in the case with in the case with Evan Rachel Wood, what really kind of caught my attention was when she started talking about how. Her memories of her abuse with Manson had been repressed, so the i you know it wasn't the case that she didn't come forward for so long out of you know fear for herself or her well being uh, or her career, which you know those are totally uh, totally valid reasons why people don't come forward with accusations until years later Um, but in her case she started claiming that her memories had been repressed of the abuse and that it was only through um, you know therapy that she had started to recall them and that was an immediate uh, red flag to me because uh you know as i discussed in the podcast episode and stuff there it it's Repressed memories is a contentious topic. Even today, you know, you will find people in the psychiatric community who fervently believe that it's it's true, uh, especially people that work with um, patients of sexual abuse. And, you know, they very much believe that it's a valid concept and there's, you know, plenty of evidence for it.
0: Right.
1: On the other hand, you have... Uh, cognitive psychologists and and memory researchers who say you know that there's never been any kind of explanatory mechanism proposed for it the evidence doesn't support it as a conclusion and uh you know furthermore what we know about how memory works tells us that it, it it's not only is it not possible but we have sufficient explanations for what people think Are repressed memories,
0: right? Yeah, it's man, it is crazy, and and for everybody that's listening, also JD goes a lot more into detail on his podcast um, on that episode, um, the devil in the details. What was the episode called, JD? Where you're talking? I think it
1: was just the. I think it was just a question, like, um, did Evan Rachel Wood and others repressed memories of abuse by Marilyn Manson. Right. That's okay. I think that's it. And, <laughs> it's and for everyone episode. If you, if you go, you know, if you, uh, go to the channel, it's the most recent episode.
0: Right. Yeah. And, and you do a fantastic job, man. Like I said, at the beginning of the show, that's what made me, you know, stir it up in me, want me to do this show with you and bring you on, um, was that episode. Well, JD, before we go, man, um... I wanted to ask one more thing. Mm -hmm. Do you think a person can separate the art from the artist? In other words, okay, let's just say Manson comes out and admits that he did this. Um, Can you separate, could you still listen to his music? Or do you combine it all together as one and say, okay, I'm done with it all?
1: I think if I'm, if I'm being uh, truthful, I would probably still listen to some songs, right. just you know, because I selfishly enjoy them so much. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's definitely some some songs that you know I'm not comfortable with, right. um, and I think that you can also be a fan of somebody's creative work, and at the same time acknowledge that you know, they did wrong, they're a horrible person, and, you know, if they are found guilty of something beyond a reasonable doubt, that, you know, justice be be served. I mean, you know, a lot of people love the Smiths music, but I've never heard anybody say that they like Morrissey or, you know, <laughs> think Morrissey's an okay guy. I don't think that's, you know, remotely defendable at, the, at, at this point, but, you know, I think you can definitely... Separate the art from the artist, but it depends on what degree the art and the artist are in, or to what degree the art and the problem are inseparable. You know, like for example, you can listen to Wagner's music and you don't have to be an anti Semite or, you know, support or apologize for his anti Semitism. Right. But could you listen to, Like National Socialist Black Metal, Mm, probably not. You know that that's a little bit more problematic. I mean, you know, maybe you could listen to some Burzum, but there's definitely uh, other things out there where I think the the art and kind of the problematic nature of the artist are inseparable because they're so intertwined.
0: Awesome. Well, JD. Man, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule and being a guest on the show and, and helping discuss all this with me.
1: No, thank you very much for having me.
0: Definitely. And ladies and gentlemen, also, if you want to know more about J.D. Um, and his podcast, it's The Devil in the Details. You can find it on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcast. You're on all pretty much the major podcast platforms. Pretty much.
1: Right? I, I think people pretty much stick to those, two. Um yeah. I, I think I might be on iTunes. I don't. I, I don't remember. <laughs> one of here. them. One of them went away recently. I think Stitcher went away recently. I think
0: it was Stitcher. Yeah. I yeah, because
1: so. I, I was on there um, for its duration. But yeah, Google Podcast, Apple Podcasts are the big two. Spotify.
0: Definitely. All right, man. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to wrap it up for this evening. And until next time, you know the deal. Stay safe and always stay demented.